Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today, there's a sting in the tail in Dortmund as Borussia failed to beat Mainz and miss out on the title. In Munich, celebrations of a double and defenestration of two bosses. There's also a double party for Christoph Biermann, who sees Bochum staying up and Union make the Champions League. And we'll also have all the dramatic ins and outs of the relegation battle. Stay tuned for an epic Beer and Honey pot. Hello, dear listener. I'm Raphael Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. And we welcome you to Match Day 34, a momentous occasion with a truly historic outcome, both at the top and at the bottom. But before we get going, we have to address you with an urgent appeal. <laughs> Beer and Honey needs you. Beer and Honey needs your support. If you can, please become a member, even better, become an ultra, because Beer and Money, Beer and Money. <laughs> <laughs> beer and because beer and honey needs money beer and honey needs your support to keep going if you can please go to steadyhq.com slash en slash beer and honey and become a member of the supporters club even better become an ultra because we will need 420 members for the new season to actually keep going uh, that's about three times or so the existing amount of members. If you can, please, please become a member. We need your support to keep going for the new season. You see the target on the Beer and Honey landing page on SadiHQ.com. Thank you so much in advance. Raphael, before we start with this unbelievable finish um, of the season, uh, a finish that we probably will talk about in many years to come. I was wondering, um, and I have a question for you, was this the best Bundesliga season ever? It was one of the best. I'm not sure Borussia Dortmund fans will feel it was the best Bundesliga season ever, simply because of the way it ended, Christoph. And maybe Schalke fans won't be that fond of it either seeing that their team got relegated. But in terms of overall excitement, the number of stories, the number of twists, the number of teams who had something to play for right until the end, is going to be pretty tough to beat. Especially because it ran counter to a lot of the problems that we've seen in modern football in recent years, that the top teams are so far away from everyone else that it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Everyone was very close together. Maybe that was the effect of the World Cup as well or other specific reasons. And that made it yeah, incredibly, incredibly exciting. Um, recency bias would suggest it was definitely the best <laughs> Bundesliga season ever. But ask me again next year. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I was, I mean, I've been complaining um, over the season a lot uh, and I have for forgotten about it so ah yes it will be the same as ever and Bayern will be champion and blah 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 and, and you were right 
I was right, but 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 not in an unexpected way. <laughs> and um, yeah, but um, so you're right. It was against the trend. It was again the trend of modern football with uh, teams dominating so much like um, Manchester City in England or surprisingly uh, Napoli in Italy and, and, and so on and expectedly Paris Saint-Germain in France. So so we had a, um, a, a title fight I think that was um, uh, totally fascinating and and yes you're right Borussia Dortmund fans will be devastated still today and probably also in the weeks to come and um, uh, Schalke fans the same but but that's the story of football they you have winners and losers there's only one champion and uh, and uh, there are two, at least two teams uh, that will be relegated but um, I don't know where to start shall we start probably in Dortmund I think we should start in Dortmund um, with uh, Borussia Dortmund not managing to win a match. I was sure they would win. I, I, I would have bet on a three or four goals margin because Mainz 05 was out of form having lost uh, their last four games. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, as we thought, had uh, managed to, to uh, in great fashion, to win the uh, most difficult match in Augsburg, 3-0, uh, uh, the Sunday before. Uh, what went wrong? Edin Terzic was asked that question and he didn't really have an answer. Um, as armchair psychologists, we can lean back <laughs> and theorize over fear or the weight of history bearing on them. I think what went mostly wrong on a more banal level was the script of the last match day just didn't go according to plan. Starting with Bayern taking an early lead in the eighth minute, that was really a psychological setback for Dortmund as much as they knew about it. It didn't help. It increased the pressure. And I think in a strange way, and again, you'd have to ask the players, but it almost felt as if at that moment they realized that it's not a foregone conclusion. Yes, I agree with you. We all thought they would win the game. But there's one thing to thinking you'll win the game to then suddenly after eight minutes thinking, oh, now we have to win. Now a point is not going to be enough. And that, I think, put more pressure on the on the team and then when they took a few minutes later when Mainz took the lead then suddenly you have not one goal but two goals to score minimum and then they missed a penalty for a quick equalizer and then they conceded a second goal from I think the second attempt from Mainz so if you will a lot of things that went could have gone the wrong way all went the wrong way for Dortmund over the space of 25 minutes or so and they never recovered from that. Let's talk about this penalty because that's a situation I typically hate. So you have Emre Can who has scored five goals from the last five penalties for Borussia Dortmund. And then he's, he's, he's having the ball, he's going to the penalty spot and then Sebastian Allaire comes and they, they chat 
and in the end, Sebastian Alea takes the ball. And and I was thinking, um, also football players are probably thinking in in stories or, or whatever. So and that would be the not end, but but another perfect chapter of this fantastic Sebastian Allaire recovery story, having diagnosed with cancer, fighting it, coming back from it, being very important with his nine goals um, in the second part of the season. And and then he, he so like, yes, and he takes scoring his 10th goal, equalizing for, for Borussia Dortmund. And now they are set on their way to, to, to the title. And then he misses it. And um, um, I, I haven't heard anything um, about it uh, in the um, because Borussia Dortmund players were not talking much after after the game, and um, so and, and especially not in detail. But was that the maybe the decisive detail of these ninety minutes? Uh, in Dortmund? It definitely felt like the <laughs> a very momentous moment uh, in the wrong sense. Dortmund could have had momentum. Edin Terzin said that Sebastian Allaire felt well and of course nobody wanted to criticize him for taking the ball but again when you see him in the last few seconds before he took the penalty how he just doesn't look very confident, doesn't look very happy. <laughs> I, I think again, it's that realization suddenly kicking in. Oh, I have to score this. I have to score this. This could be the most important penalty of the season. And maybe it was. Maybe it was. But certainly Dortmund, especially when it didn't get given a second penalty that it could have had, never really looked like themselves again until a few good moments in the second half of the season when they found a very late equalizer. Maybe if they have 10 more minutes, they find the winner. But they gave themselves too much to do. And the safety blanket that they had for eight minutes or so, with Bayern drawing in Köln, ultimately was pulled away from them. And that made it, I think, even more painful. Um, I think we have to talk about class today. Um, uh, in, a, in a sense, how, how you deal with um, winning and losing. And I think it was a class act by uh, Borussia Dortmund, how they took the defeat. I found it very moving. Uh, nobody or very few people leaving the stadium, celebrating the team, celebrating especially Edin Terdes, who is a, I mean, he is a, he is a fan who became the head coach uh, of the team, there is this famous picture of him in in um, in one of the German Cup finals some years ago, where he's standing in the in the uh, Olympia Stadium in in one sector with the Borussia Dortmund fans wearing a yellow black hat and a yellow black scarf and 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 so on. So people actually love him in in um, in Dortmund, and and uh, we, we talked about it. He managed a. Tremendous turnaround of the season, but still, but it was classy how how they how they took it. But um, my impression is it will take a long time to recover from it. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know, uh, Christoph. I think that because the second half of the season was so much better than the first, you can see it even from some of the stuff that uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke, the CEO, has said on Monday. I think that the realization will be that they didn't really lose it in isolation on the last match day of the season. But ultimately, the performance throughout, especially the first half of the season, just wasn't quite enough to win a championship. It would have been, let's face it, a bit of a miracle to win a title with 73 points. And they fell short of that. I think you have to get to the point, and we talked about this in relation to Dortmund for many years now, where reaching points below the 80s is the norm for them and not a club record they're still underachieving in my in my book relative to their strength and I think they should take heart from the fact that they now have a team that works much better functions much better players are scoring Sebastian Allaire has really changed the dynamic of how this team works they're bringing in some good new players Ben Zibaini is coming I think Kamada is coming as well so I don't think there's any reason to feel despondent. Of course, it's going to hurt. It was a historic chance. Next year is going to be more difficult, simply because Bayern will not play another season with 71 points. It's almost inconceivable. But Dortmund should look at themselves and should target much more consistent output, which then also will make them more competitive in the Champions League and especially in the Cup where they're underachieved. So... I don't think it's going to take too much, too long. I think they can use it the way Jurgen Klopp has often used these massive defeats on the last match day or in finals and tell those players, look, let's get there again, but let's make sure that we use this as motivation. And I think they will do. Let's see if... Um Bayern will open the door again soon. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, I very much doubt it. Um, but let's so so they are champions for the thirty third time in in Germany now, um, and uh, maybe one of their strangest titles ever. Maybe the strangest title ever. They at least one of uh, one that came with the biggest surprise winning. They won in Cologne to one uh, thanks to a late goal from Jamal uh, Musiala. But I think what we have to talk about mainly is what happened afterwards. And I'm not talking about celebrations and 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 beer showers and and, and stuff like that, because in the midst of this celebration. News broke that Hassan Salihamidzic and um, uh, Oliver Kahn, uh, the sports uh, director and the CEO, were fired. I mean, how unclassy is that? I'm lost for words. I was lost for words when it happened. I'm still lost for words a few days later. I think there was a theory that they couldn't drag out this process any longer, that they didn't want to have... Khan and Salihamidzic celebrating and already knowing that they would be fired, but it wasn't official and sort of playing a game and acting as if everything was okay and then firing them on Tuesday. So they put everything forward to this week. They had these talks saying, you know what, it's, we're not going to go on with you. It worked with Salihamidzic, who accepted 
the decision and who decided, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to be staying on the good side of the new or old <laughs> bosses and uh, just go along and, and celebrate and try my best. Uh, Khan did not take the news nearly as well. Uh, there was a bit of a shouting match going on and he was told to stay home. And then we had a very strange moment where the club seemed to tell reporters he's home because of uh, a flu. And then he contradicted them on Twitter. And then he wrote, um, I wasn't allowed to come. And then somebody said, oh, this is because the doctor told him not to come. And then he he sent a second tweet saying, no, no, it was the club <laughs> who told me not to come. And this uh, ping pong has continued uh, since the final whistle where he said it was the wrong, the, the worst day of my life. And he contradicted some of the things that Herbert Heiner The chairman said at the press conference. Yeah, I mean, um, not great. As Thomas Tuchel said, it's a political subject that overshadows the celebrations, that that moves on the agenda from what should have been just an incredible story of a comeback. I think for the team it was. They didn't really care that much. I had a sense, and that's normal and good. But I think for supporters it made things very bittersweet. And it it left a bit of a bad taste in the mouth because the club has looked uh, once again not fully in control of its own decision making process. To put it very charitably, and it doesn't reflect well on this institution of Bayern, which yes is always ruthless, but try at least in or have tried in the in the past. To do things in a, as you said, in a classy manner, it certainly didn't didn't work this season with with everything they did, from the way that Nagelsmann found out in the press about his dismissal, to now uh, this news breaking within seconds of Bayern winning the unexpected eleventh uh, consecutive championship. When we t uh, look at these decisions, um, I, I think most people would agree. Um, that it was right to fire um, Oliver Kahn because there seemed to be, and Herbert Heiner was saying this in a press conference on Sunday, um, there seemed to be a sense within this club um, that it, under the leadership of Oliver Kahn, it was going too much towards a direction of a, uh, a company. I, 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 let's put it like like this and changing the tone, losing the the family thing that was always uh, around Bayern, uh, even though it's a it's a it's a big club with a huge turnover and and in fact is a company, but but there was also always a, a different sense what 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 Bayern is. Um, so would you agree um, that the decision was right, and would you also agree with what? I was thinking they shouldn't have fired Salihamidzic. Um, yes, things were going wrong in a way. They had made mistakes. Obviously, the team was not put put together well. But um, was it necessary to, to, to fire him? It's open to debate. First of all, on Khan, I think you're right. There had been some doubts about the way he leads the club for quite a while. And I see this season... I don't want to say as an excuse, but as an opportunity to actually uh, 
make that decision because in recent years Bayern have been successful. They won the the Champions League. They had a okayish season last year, winning at least the, the league with no problems. But this year, the people in the back, and especially uh, Uli Hoeneß, who is still the most powerful figure in the club, I think felt that this was a good opportunity to to put the knife in. I think with Salihamidzic is a more political situation. I think Salihamidzic probably became the pawn that needed to be sacrificed for other changes to be made. Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge coming back, Jan Christian Dresen, who was sacked effectively by Oliver Kahn as finance director, coming back to take over from Kahn in a more important role with the blessing of Uli Hoeneß. Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge coming back as well, who was never really a big fan of Hasan Salihamidzic. And I think Uli Hoeneß gave up his man in Salihamidzic to bring these other guys back because their relationship with Hassan wasn't that close. And to just finalize this, I think you can fire Oliver Kahn. Whether Jan Christian Dresen, a bit of a technocrat who, yes, has a good relationship with the fans and is liked in some quarters of the clubs perhaps more than than Kahn, whether he is that person to bring back the family vibe without any footballing background, I'm less certain. It feels more like a straw man put there by Uli Hoeneß and also Karl-Heinz Rummenigge to basically take control of the club much more because Kahn's biggest flaw in a way was, I think that he didn't get Uli Hoeneß so much on board with his decision-making process. He tried to run the club by himself. I tell you a story here. Um, I've been talking with um, uh, a president of a Bundesliga club um, who um, was in Munich and um, asked very often, not always, but mostly the, the bosses of the, the clubs come together for, for, for dinner, pre-match dinner and so on. And his observation was how much sidelined Uli Hoeneß was. And he was he he was describing the situation as um, that he was treated by by Khan and his men like a disturbing old man <laughs> who who they wanted to to chase away, and he was really surprised about it. And and when I when I heard this story, I was thinking. There is also a revenge element in this, a hot element, uh, and and um, yeah, and Uli Hoeneß has a talent to destroy uh, adversaries, and uh, and obviously uh, Khan. Um, in the finally, he saw in Khan a kind of enemy or or, or whatever, and um, and took the chance. And it's funny that you say that. Um, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge not happy about Salihamidzic, so so both got a knife and, and, and could stick stick it in, and it's a bit like I don't know, it's 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 a bit like Politburo stuff, or also in the in in the in the old communist sense, although. Everybody at Bayern would would fiercely disagree to be in any way connected with communism, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Strange, strange politics here. Very, very political. But 
to just uh, close that subject, we should say that Thomas Tuchel is, I think, in a good position to take advantage of this uh, chaos because he he emerged with a lot of credit. He he won the title, yes. It was much closer than anticipated, but he made the key move, very gutsy decision, to take off Leon Goretzka, who'd only just come on over 10 minutes or so, and bring on Jaume Musiala, who scored the winning goal. He'd already taken off Thomas Müller before, so hugely problematic decisions if they backfire, but they worked. And now he's the last adult in the room as far as uh, <laughs> footballing leadership is concerned. And I think he will make a good use of this power. Uh, you could see it when he talked about his responsibility and that he needed to stay around and not go on holiday and lots of discussions, lots of moves that need to be made. And as you know, Christoph, at Bayern, coaches never really have that much power when it comes to the transfer market and so on. And maybe that's one of the reasons why Bayern have been so successful. But I think at least in the short term, we will see Tuchel have more power than anyone, certainly since Guardiola. And even he didn't have that much power. And I think it will help Bayern in the short run, especially for next season, to be much, much better. Who will who will follow um, Salihamidzic? Do you have what's your bet? I, I'm really not sure. There's lots of names being mentioned. Uh, I think Max Eber is somebody that Bayern have liked in the past, but I don't think he will be available, having just signed up for Leipzig. Yeah. Uh, intriguingly, there's now talk of Michael Reschke coming back, which would make a lot of sense because Karl-Heinz Rummenigge really rates him. And if Rummenigge is sort of backsteering the transfer market from the supervisory board role that he will assume, having Reschke there would would make sense and would also, I think, maybe show that Hoeneß is willing to make concessions to others in the club because it wouldn't just be the Uli Hoeneß show with Reschke being there. But I don't know if that's if that's going to happen. Herbert Heiner said they need they they wanted somebody prominent so I don't think it'll be another ex-footballer at this point Michael Reschke is also very close with Thomas Tuchel for many years exactly and that's that's also um, uh, a point that might be important here but um, uh, I, I, I've, I've talked to him some weeks ago and he at that time he had declined a job at a big uh, European club and uh, and uh, was saying that ah, yeah, he's so happy he is working now for a, a big agent company in England and uh, is happy what he's doing. But I think he might be tempted <laughs> to to uh, to return to to Munich. But let's see. Let's see indeed. Okay, we have to talk about another of your clubs having. A good last day of the season. You had plenty of reasons to celebrate. <laughs> uh, perhaps none more so than uh, your real club not getting relegated. But your second club, Union Berlin, they basically won the league in their by their standards, finishing in the Champions League places, courtesy of a last match win while Freiburg lost. 
and will finish in fifth position. Union Berlin with the crowning moment of what has been not just an amazing season, but an amazing four years in the Bundesliga now. Yeah, it's it's um, probably one of the um, most astonishing rises in the history of German football. Um, a club that has never been in the Bundesliga before, five years ago, um, saves himself from relegation in the first year, qualifies for the UEFA Conference League in the second, qualifies for the Europa League in the third, and now in the fourth league in, uh, year in the Bundesliga qualifies for the Champions League. It's uh, Urs Fischer is always saying surreal, and and he has been saying that at the end of every season now, and uh, when when you and he means it and he feels it. Um, uh, I, I was on on uh, uh, on Saturday um, returning from uh, Bochum. Uh, there was a I, I was attending a, a kind of after season party there, and um, uh, I was talking a bit to to Urs Fischer, and he was sitting there, and in disbelief still, and they everybody. If you look, the players, um, the other coaches, the the manager, the um, the the sports director, the president, and and so on. Um, this is a club that is living in this surreal disbelief for five years now. I mean, it's it's I I, I don't I don't know if if. Probably there's somewhere else in world football a similar story and where a club is is getting better every year and, and rising uh, uh, in a way like Union. I doubt it. Uh, but if you heard about one, give me a shout. I would like to know. And um, yes, and, and always you, you think, ooh, they fit the glass ceiling then, and now they're getting real problems. And uh, as we, when they qualified for the Conference League, are saying, "Oh, international football and surviving the Bundesliga that will be tough," and uh, and so on. And now it's uh, how can they deal with it? Probably playing the um, Bernabeu on a um, on a Wednesday. And have to travel to Bochum on a Saturday or so, and um, uh, but they they are very well aware of this um, the problems that might come, and I think it will for them it will be a very very important um, transfer period um, because on the one side they have to find players that um, increase the potential. Um, of, of the team that it might be um, that the Champions League campaign doesn't become an embarrassment and um, uh, on the other side um, they need a team that plays Union football that plays Urs Fischer football for 34 years uh, for 34 weeks in the Bundesliga and um, and that will be tough. Um, uh, um, they all are saying we don't uh, sign players. We won't sign players who come to 
uh, to us because they want to play Champions League. We want to sign players that come to us because they want to uh, uh, play with us in the Bundesliga and as an added bonus or so, they um, uh, manage, uh, they, they can play Champions League. That will Maybe they can try with Isco now again. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to Isco after this failed transfer? He wasn't heard about again. Maybe he had retired also. Yeah, uh, the Isco story. And uh, yeah, and um, they won 1-0 against uh, Werder Bremen, uh, thanks to one of only two goals from Rani Kedira. And that Rani Kedira scored this goal is also in a way telling because now he has become a a leader, one of the leaders of this um, team on the pitch and also off the pitch. Um, Rani Kedira being the younger brother of Sami Kedira, famous uh, German national player. And before he came to Union two years ago, he was um, he was a very average uh, number six in the Bundesliga, having played he coming at that time from Augsburg, having played at, at Leipzig before in the second division uh, and so on. And um, and you could with him, you could see what the quality of this um, uh, of Urs Fischer and his team is they developed him into a um, uh, a player that is so much better than when he came because they taught him a lot and that you can see that um, happening with a lot of players and um, that's also uh, part of the explanation of the success Yes, and um, at the same time, um, uh, Freiburg uh, was losing 2-1 at uh, Frankfurt thanks to very late goals because they they put a lot on lot of pressure on 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 Union on that last day of the season. They were one 0 up for for quite a long time, and uh, Kedira scored the decisive goal only. Um, uh, 10 minutes from, from, from the final whistle and then uh, Frankfurt turned the uh, match around and I think as we um, have to applaud and I'm happy to applaud um, Union Berlin um, I think we have to applaud also uh, Freiburg because um, the fifth place is, um, is, is terrific and um, it's such a great club with, that had made such a fantastic development over recent years. First season in their new stadium that is always full to capacity and uh, exciting atmosphere there. So... Um, um they the, so it's it's not not a um once in 10 years season or so uh, i think they they will they they now belong to the top teams of the bundesliga yeah absolutely and it's a absolutely remarkable story which for all its flaws shows that the bundesliga model can still produce some new teams as far as the elite is concerned, whether they can stay there for not just three or four years, but decades, we have to see. But it's it's an incredible achievement from from both these clubs. Okay, Christoph, I think we have to now go where it hurts. <laughs> uh, maybe not so much you, but certainly 
a couple of other teams involved in the relegation battle. We knew already that Hertha were going down. We knew that Schalke were up against it. Stuttgart weren't safe yet. Bochum weren't safe. Augsburg even with a small chance of still getting sucked in. But what happened? I already told you that I unsurprisingly traveled to Bochum um, on, on Saturday. And I will remember it as the day of the squeaky duck. <laughs> uh, because um, there is a, a, a sponsor in, in Bochum that is dealing with bathroom interiors or stuff like this. And, and um, when there is a new result coming in, the sound of a squeaky duck is, is, um, uh, is, is leading the attention to the uh, scoreboard. And then you could see new result coming in. And and for Bochum, it was like um, uh, the squeaky duck was only telling stuff that you wanted to um, that you wanted to hear. So um, after a few minutes, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, was one nil up against uh, Augsburg, and and. Uh, It was clear that if um, Bochum would win and Augsburg would lose on the same day, they could um, pass them. And uh, then uh, five minutes later, Leverkusen was one man down because Adli was sent off uh, for an offense that uh, Xabi Alonso called immature and childish. Dominic Heinz had tear his, uh, um, uh, uh, hold him on his shirt, and and then Utley had in a in a in a manner that you see in Kreisliga uh, probably <laughs> has tried has hit him, and uh, so uh, Bochum was um, uh, one man up for. 85 minutes and um, and and so on and and then the news broke that uh, Leipzig was one nil up and then two nil up against Schalke. Bochum was scoring a goal, uh, the first goal. Um, uh, uh, Philipp Förster um, against Leverkusen, and so in the end, the big winner of this um, race against relegation actually was Bochum because they were winning 3-0. Schalke finally lost 4-2 in in, uh, Leipzig, um, having equalized, uh, uh, being 2-0 down, having equalized then, but uh, towards the end of the game lost uh, 4-2. Augsburg also lost and um, 2-0 in Mönchengladbach and uh, there was this draw between Stuttgart and Hoffenheim. So now we have the situation that Schalke is going down, uh, that Stuttgart has go into relegation. We later tell you um, who they will face. And um, uh, uh, Augsburg is on 15 and uh, Bochum very surprisingly on on 14 and um yeah that was i think it was a a kind of watershed moment for uh, for bochum because um they had the um 
the the cheapest team in the Bundesliga, the least money available. Um, that will change the next season. So they were telling that they will invest money, that they will strengthen the team, and that they will be more competitive. As they were, they there were, was a lot of um, energy that this team could could create um, a fantastic atmosphere in in the Ruhrstadion, um, the best probably I've ever seen in almost 50 years there now. And um, uh, but but they they need to strengthen their team because the quality was uh, as I have said uh, uh, limited and. Yeah, but this also means uh, that the Bundesliga is is losing a, a great club, one of the greatest, um, with uh, Bochum's local rival um, uh, Schalke, although they played a fantastic second half of the season. But it's a bit similar to the story uh, of Borussia Dortmund. Um, they didn't lose it in Leipzig, but they lose it, lost it in the first half of the season. Or what would you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think 12 points they had going into the winter break after 15 games. And uh, that's, uh, that's not enough. Uh, Thomas Rice very nearly worked a miracle, but you shouldn't have to work a miracle to stay out with Schalke. I think there was enough space for them to to survive. They didn't. Uh, we have to hope to see them back because for the league, both Hertha and them going down is quite a blow. Big cities, big clubs, and two cups coming up who <laughs> don't quite have the same pedigree. I think it's fair to say, with all respect to, to Darmstadt, but the other team going up is Heidenheim. I think we'll probably need a special pod on Heidenheim to explain who they are, where they come from. But they've never been in the Bundesliga before. And they will easily be the smallest club from the smallest town next season. So it's a great story, but it's not going to help the league much, I think, when it comes to having yeah big numbers and uh, big ratings and big attendances next season. Let's tell the story very briefly. So Heidenheim is in Swabia. It's a it's a, a little little city and um, it's in the area where this um, where a lot of these companies are that nobody uh, knows about but they are world famous because they are producing specialist products and and, and so on and and the the story of of Heidenheim in a way is fantastic and we have to mention two names here one is Holger Sandwald um, who is a 50 six-year-old um, CEO of, of, of the club. And he came in 1994. So he is there for almost 30 years. And he took over the club when they were in the seventh level of German uh, football and had a deficit of um, 80,000 80, uh, euros or so. Or was it still Marx then? I, I don't remember. And he has has um, developing this this club ever since with small means going up step by step. And in 2007, Frank Schmidt became the coach. So 15 years ago and on the fifth level of German football. And this Frank Schmidt is now the man uh, who has uh, been leading 
the club to the Bundesliga. They already have been in the um, relegation match uh, between the uh, third from the Bundesliga and the third from the bottom of the Bundesliga. Uh, two years ago when they were um, uh, uh, playing against Werder Bremen, who, who managed then to, to, to stay in the Bundesliga. But this week, this Sunday, they, they in one of their craziest matches, were winning 3-2 at Jan Regensburg, who were already relegated from the second division. But Regensburg being up 2-0, um, um, after 56 minutes and so, and um, Heidenheim scoring the decisive goal in the eighth minute of, of extra time. So, um, yeah, crazy. I, I, a great story, another football fairy tale, but uh, I agree with you. There is not much about Heidenheim that is actually very sexy, but it's a lot of it is very likable. Some people might feel the same about VfB Stuttgart, at least if they are from Swabia. And not so sexy in recent years, but still a big club. Uh, they, depending on your viewpoint, they've either survived the drop or they've prolonged the agony. <laughs> a 1-1 one, one draw on the last match day helped them to get into the relegation playoff spot where they will be facing Hamburger SV. Drum roll. <laughs> uh, a relegation playoff which has two huge clubs involved it'll be a shame to lose one of them or not to have one of them involved in the Bundesliga but they can't both be there but we have to talk about the reason what you want to talk about Stuttgart first and then we go to yeah, yeah. okay <clears throat> yeah. and you've been I, saying and you've been saying Christoph that Stuttgart shouldn't even be as far down throughout the season. They are the, the best team not to play well this season. It was true again uh, uh, at this 1-1 against Hoffenheim. I, I think they were just unlucky this season. Um, I mean, it's uh, they are too good. They are... I don't know. I Maybe one day, if the dust has settled a bit, um, uh, we get an analysis of, of the season and, and looking deeper into it. Were they really unlucky or was were there other important factors? But when you look at the team, I, I think it's just a good football team. And not, not the best or so, but... Um, very often when I've seen them, I, I was thinking, yeah, they should be sevens or eighth or so in the Bundesliga. Very decent, interesting young players, blah, 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 blah. But they don't get results. Or they, they did get results. And uh, at least the 1-1 is, is helping them to, to be um, in the relegation. And I think they are huge favorites against uh, uh, Hamburg. Because after Hamburg, you said it, it's such a massive club. But after five years being in the second division, you don't have these quality players anymore. I mean, you they have an interesting team. They have in Tim Walter a interesting, also controversial uh, uh, coach who is... Um, who tends to be very overconfident and um, 
but let's see uh, where it leads them. Um, we, they had this uh, strange uh, themes. Um, they were winning themselves in also relegated at also relegated uh, Sandhausen. And uh, because Heidenheim at that at time was uh, had a draw and that would have meant that uh, Hamburg would have gone up. So uh, a lot of fans were already celebrating. And uh, yeah, uh, let's see how, how that uh, comes uh, for, for Hamburg and Stuttgart. Um, but you're right, it's, it, it doesn't sound like a relegation game. It's more like a cup final. A, a cup final, yes. An 80s or 90s German Cup final or a match where the qualification for Europe can be decided. And uh, yeah, but that's how things happen in the Bundesliga. Before we leave, we have to talk about the most stupid team in the Bundesliga. And that is, drum roll again. Is it for Wolfsburg? No doubt about it. Or, or what would you think? I think so. They had a chance to get into Europe. They had a lot of possibilities <laughs> because they were playing the worst team in the Bundesliga. Maybe not the most stupid team, but certainly the worst team in the Bundesliga, Hertha. But after taking the lead in the second minute, they threw it all away. They lost 2-1 and now they won't even be in the Europa Conference League. I mean, that is quite a bottle job, as we say here in England. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it's it's good that um, uh, Frankfurt is is playing there because I think they value it more. Absolutely. Well, that's it for match day thirty four, but we're still not quite done yet. Those two relegation playoff games plus the final of the German FA Cup, the DFB Pokal, will be something that we look back on next week on Tuesday. Uh, do tune in then. And we will also have some very special pods for our members over the next few weeks. But until such time, uh, a quick reminder, please, if you can, help us reach our target for Beer and Honey to keep us going for next season. Go to steadyhq.com slash en slash beer and honey to have a look subscribe become an ultra if you can you get a fantastic mug in return it was wonderful to be with you please if you can enable us to be with you throughout the summer and beyond in the wonderful beer and honey podcast my thanks go to this guy Christoph Biermann, and my thank goes to this guy, Raphael Honigstein. And we both thank you for listening and for supporting us. We'll be back next week with the final decisions of the Bundesliga season. Bye-bye. Bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast.